0: the skyhook podcast my name is james k with me on the mic as always is your co-host chris pennant the flying spider christopher how you holding up man heck of a weekend for you and uh everyone in women's basketball
1: james i want to back you up a second because it's championship weekend in college basketball so i want you to address me address when you talk to me you address me as 2006-2007 bradley university intramural champion you can always address me like that i'm gonna get my richard sherman on to start the podcast but man it was crazy what a what a fantastic weekend of basketball and as you said we are here to talk about women's basketball i don't think the final four could have delivered any better than it did um aside from a couple of things that i know that we're going to get into here today uh, before we get into that as always we appreciate all of you out there listening. If you have anything to say, anything to talk about, anything that you would like to engage us in, hit us in the email inbox at the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. Once again, that's the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And we as always would like to thank the sponsor of our show, Betstamp, Betstamp, the place where you can find the best, the absolute best odds and lines in the major North American sports books. College basketball season might be over for you, but the WNBA is beckoning. And if you did make any bets in college basketball, you should have gone through the BetStamp app to find the best possible lines of value for your buck. And you can also track your old bets if they hit, if they didn't, and then make adjustments for the next time college basketball rolls around this fall. So go to betstamp.com, find them in the Apple Store, Google Play, or the Android Store. And please, please, please use the code TheSkyhookPod when you sign up. BetStamp one of the best in the business, and the proud sponsor of the Skyhook podcast. James, big James. Woo! Love Simone and Sylvia University won their first title this weekend. It was absolutely fantastic. I know we got a lot to go over, but I I just kind of am letting that sink in. We have a university with Simone Augustus and Sylvia Fowles, and this is the first time they won the championship, man. It's crazy when you just look at all the players
0: who have been there in the past and think like, wow, I can't believe they haven't won a championship. And obviously all those Yukon teams that, I mean, Tennessee also being able to uh, come out on top a couple of times with CP3 and everything, like you start to understand why. And I'm, it's just really cool to see them have their moment with um, the players have their moment during this one. And so no, let's just get into the game itself. I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding this game, you know, during the game and especially after it. And Chris, actually, we didn't talk about this heading into the show, but I do want to talk about the game itself first, just out of respect for everybody on LSU's roster, everyone on Iowa's roster, because they delivered one hell of a championship game here. And I mean, again, we're like we're recording this the morning after LSU beat Iowa 102-85 in the national championship. And the Tigers, I mean, their bench outscored the Hawkeyes bench 30-8 to eight behind Jasmine Carson's 22 points on 7-8 of eight shooting. She also knocked down 5 of 6 of her 3-point attempts, and she scored 21 points in the first half alone. That was more than what Caitlin Clark had at the half. I don't think a lot of people would have had any player in that game having more <laughs> points than Caitlin Clark at the half, but... LSU's Alexis Morris, man, oh my God, she just went off in the second half. She scored 19 points, had four assists, and just played stellar defense against Caitlin Clark. I mean, just as good as like what any person can play against Caitlin Clark in terms of a defensive standpoint. Like Morris really stepped up. I mean, Caitlin Clark was held, I think, nine of 22 shooting. So, and he also can't we cannot talk about Angel Reese who just had. A tremendous two-way performance despite being out in the second quarter due to foul trouble, which seems like everybody was out due to foul trouble in this one. But, you know, nobody scored more than 90 points, 90 or more points, I should say, against Iowa this year. And I will see who came out on top with the dominant performance just from everyone on the roster. So shout out to them. You know, again, Chris, there was a lot of controversy, but I enjoyed every second of this game. How did you feel about it, man? I mean, do you feel like this lived up to the hype even coming from the final four, when I would took down South Carolina, which I, I consider to be an upset. How did you feel about all of
1: this? Like, did, did it feel like they delivered? I think if you had a personal stake in this game, you had a lot of problems with it, with uh, the officiating, just most paramount that is, is not going to go away. And um for LSU fans, it'll be lessened by the the balm of winning a national championship. For Iowa fans, it's going to hurt for a while because you feel like officiating probably took your team out of the rhythm of the game. But as you said, 30 points off the bench compared to eight for Iowa. And LSU, pretty much everybody who stepped on the floor contributed. Uh, from Angel Reese, the superstar, all the way down to last tier core. Who had six points off the bench in seven minutes? Seven minutes, and you score six points and two assists in the national championship game. I would just didn't get that same production, and some of that was disruption of their rhythm. But you got it. They didn't get as much from Hannah Stolkey as I know they wanted. They didn't get enough from. They didn't get enough from Addison O'Grady as they wanted. Even McKenna Warnock, who had six rebounds, only had nine points in forty in twenty five minutes on the floor. It was, it, was a difficult, it was a difficult performance for them. And as good as Caitlin Clark was, this was the second game of the entire tournament that she shot under 50%. And it just came at the worst possible time from an LSU team who, as much attention should rightly be paid to Iowa knocking off South Carolina in a game they led pretty much from wire to wire, LSU came back against a Virginia Tech team that was humming. They were up double digits, Early in the second half in the third quarter, they still held the lead. They led by nine going into the last frame and ended up losing that game. And and by which I mean, LSU took that game from them. So I think this national championship, aside from the officiating, did live up to all of the hype and all of the anticipation that came from those two semifinal games. I think it's a
0: really good point about if you didn't have a stake in this game that you probably had less of a problem with it. Because look... Obviously, the officiating had a lot to do with it, especially with Monica Sinano. Like, we talked a lot about Caitlin Clark's gravity. Got to give the same respect to Monica Sinano, who teams when Gabby Marshall and, and not just Gabby Marshall, just like the supporting cast outside of Caitlin Clark and Monica just wasn't hitting from beyond the arc as well as they could have earlier in the season. That every time that Monica Sinano rolled to the basket, there was someone already pre rotating stopping her from being able to finish at the rim and just leaving someone open in the corner. And it wasn't until like Gabby Marshall just really started to go off in the second half, really started, especially entering the Big Ten tournament, just started, she just like rediscovered her shot and that just opened up all of Iowa's offense, including getting Monica more opportunities down low. So when you lose someone like Monica Sinano, who again is just super efficient, scoring from around the basket I was offense just was really leaning on being able to score from beyond the arc and it felt at times outside of that scoring burst in the third quarter where they were, hit, they went on like a 15 to 2 run I believe it was at one point in the third quarter that they just were again they just had to be a three-point shooting team and when you give a good defensive team like LSU that option of like we're just going to score for one level of the floor it's like Okay. I mean, that team is too talented to lose a game like that. And yes, the officiating was definitely a factor in this one, but it felt like when Iowa came out, they really, they really came out swinging. Like Caitlin scored like 12 points in like three, four minutes. And it just felt like a boxing match where someone came out just trying to throw haymakers and. Despite all of that, LSU kept the game tied. You know, like they kept calm and then just hunched right back and just like finessed will throughout this one, man. Like, I know that officiating is going to be a talking point, but I just, I was so impressed by what I saw from
1: LSU from top to bottom yesterday. The, LSQ, the LSU coach had their team well prepared. And that can't be understated. The way that Iowa came out, they put in that triangle and two zone defense, and they were extremely aggressive. When the ball went out to the wings, you saw evidence in those first few minutes where they were overplaying on passes and getting those steals and runouts. What I thought LSU did very well was that when the ball went down to the post, they they found the right player on the skip because Iowa was attacking. And really, uh, doubling or closing out hard on post touches for Angel Reese, which is what you do. She's the marquee player on that team. They were doing the same thing this to South Carolina, and so hey, either Angel Reese or Alexis Morris or Jasmine Carson were able to find the right player, either coming back out to the arc or skipping the ball on the, to the other side, to the weak side of the floor. And I think we were kind of dancing around what what took the Tigers to the title. Is three-point shooting. Like, I don't have the text up, but my mom was watching the game live because she'll just watch – she'll watch to text me about it because she not stop in the field. And the actual message from her said, LSU's women's team must practice three-point shots all day. Why was that a five-pointer to close the half? That, <laughs> shot that, that shot that banked in off the glass. And it was a clinic, especially from a team that shot 34% for the tournament. At a certain point, they were nearly doubling that. I think at a certain point, they, were, they had 7 for 10. And, you know, it's not that they are a bad three-point shooting team ordinarily and they just, came, they just caught fire in the right moment. But Iowa was content to leave shooters open in the corner. And they drained those shots. That's how you had everybody who played contributing meaningful minutes and meaningful touches. And as good as Iowa was, cutting those leads down, cutting those leads down, they played very, very well in the second half. I think at that point, LSU had, you had to respect the outside shots. You couldn't just play that triangle too two soft zone anymore. And they have players who can hit from the mid-range. I want to say this. As much attention is paid, to the three-point shot nowadays. Rightly so. Caitlin Clark is going to be in the WNBA on the strength of her ability to hit from nearly anywhere in the half court. When the game comes down to it, you got to be able to either get the ball in the post and score reliably or hit that mid-range 15 to 18-foot jump shot. And if you do that, those are what makes superstars. And not to say that everybody on LSU was going to be a superstar, but they had multiple players who were confident in hitting that free throw line jumper down the stretch. And those are run killers. Those are what puts the nails into the other team's coffin. And that's what love Simone and Sill university was able to do to close the <laughs> game out.
0: If you had to construct a game plan, not knowing the outcome of yesterday's game, leaving Jasmine Carson open in the corner would have been the exact thing that I would have came up with too, man. She went four for 25 from beyond the arc heading into the game. Her last 25 attempts, she made only four of them. And again, to be fair, she shot 34.8% from beyond the arc as well this past season. And that was on 4.9 attempts per game. I mean, she scored, I think she hit like seven threes versus Florida. So we've seen this from Jasmine Carson to be fair and everything, but if you are going to take away, if you're trying to take away like Angel Reese or Jasmine Carson, look, Angel Reese had a historic season this past year on both ends of the floor. Like, no one, like, I was, I went back on her hoop stats page just to check out like how many players have averaged like 23 points, 15 rebounds, like at least 15 rebounds, at least 1.5 assists, and I think like 1.3 blocks per game. Zero players have done that. Zero, okay? Like, what, what she did this year was fucking special. And there's a reason that she was a first-teamer this year. So, look, Jasmine Carson saved her best for last, and I commend her for that. But in terms of, for, like, Iowa's defense, like, that wasn't, like, a a mismanaged game plan or something like that. It was just, hey, someone got got hot, and... The rest is history, you know, like that. <laughs> she was averaging less than like, what, three points per game going like in the tournament this year. It's just like, man, you have to play to your strengths and take out the other the opponent's strengths. And that's kind of what uh, I would try to do. And I will see it was just a better team yesterday.
1: So, yeah, like like I said, man, Holly Rowe interviewed the Louisiana State coach after the first quarter. And she said uh, they thought that they were playing fairly well. I think we haven't talked about Alexis Morris enough because yeah. she chased Caitlin Clark around all day long. And I love the way that Iowa gets her free. And this is, you know, not just on curls. This is not just on, you know, high pick and roll screens. Like they'll run her off like weak side curl screens to get downhill, going to the basket, and then be able to make those passes when the defense, when her gravity pulls the defense. And that's what typically frees up Monica Sonano. McKenna knocked down low, but Alexis Morris chased Caitlin Clark around all day long, and she still registered 21 points and nine assists. That's a tireless motor. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous to have to, to have to guard the best player in the tournament, the best player in the year, and still put up that kind of a stat line. You know, typically in, in pro basketball, you put your defensive specialist on that person. The LSU coach asked Alexis Morris, "We not we not only need you to defend well, we need you to score and and operate in the half court." And she did. I I wanted to make sure to take time out to say that because Absolutely. I think we talked about so many players, and she that for that number forty five looked gigantic all game long. It it was just so present on screen. You had to see where she was. Like J. Johnson played great. Angel Reese played great. Um, Jasmine Carson, shooter shoot, absolutely shooter shoot Lajja shoot. Williams, the same thing. But Alexis Morris, I think, was the player of the game, just in how how she had to play defensively, working through, and considering that Kaylin Clark put up thirty, she did it on nine for twenty two shooting.
0: That's the story of the game, right there, man. And Alexis Morris just has that dog in her. Like that's just something that like at the end of the game, obviously you want to go to Angel Reese, but watching Morris a little bit more extensively, it's just like, oh no, this is the person that I want to have the ball be in her hands in the waiting moments of the game. She's just so steady. And like you said, man, just to have the energy of guarding Caitlin. And then in the second half, again, put up 19 and four on seven of 11 shooting. It's like, I, I I don't have that type of endurance, man. That is some special shit that she did yesterday. And <laughs> they do not win the, the national title without her. So again, and oh my God, Flauze Johnson might be like my favorite player in college basketball now. Like I've just, I've I just went on a little bit of a deep dive with her just going back. And again, this is what's great about seeing media coverage expand is that we get to see players like her, get more of a moment even though i do want to talk about the coverage a little bit later in the show um just to see like her showing off her personality and again she's just she's also a killer you know like she's someone that like i am excited to see what the next three years of her career is going to look like at lsu and seeing how she's going to expand her game which is already really solid but, man, you can't teach that type of explosiveness. There's only so much you can train in terms of building on the explosiveness that she has. Man, it, I, I you just have to tip your cap to LSU for being able to just come in and not giving a single fuck about the hype around, again, someone who is a superstar in Caitlin Clark. Like, no doubt about it. She set the NCA record for most points in a single NCA tournament yesterday on the women's side. So passing Cheryl Swoops, that's a, anytime you pass Cheryl Swoops in anything, that is a. I passed Cheryl Swoops could. on the expressway once. You know?
1: <laughs> that that's honestly
0: happy. pretty dope. I'm, honestly, if I saw Cheryl Swoops, I'm like, <laughs> like what? I, Probably veered <laughs> to. Uh...
1: <laughs> My man said he was swarming in the, <laughs> the <lady>. wall.
0: What? <laughs> um. But, um, yeah, honestly, congrats to LSU for winning that first title. That is, again, any time a program wins, whether you're the one seed or the 16th, I mean, just shouts out to you, you know. Um, Do you want to shift over to the Angel Reese trash talk discourse? (laughs) It's been, like, burning in my head throughout this entire talk. Like, I I wanted to talk about the game, again, like, out of respect for everyone involved. And, uh, (laughs) again, people at LSU should be fucking ecstatic about their postseason run that was not easy
1: you know it was not easy so should we shift over to it I, I do want to say one thing yeah yeah. as much as we talked about the officiating I watched the game back I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch the game live but I watched the game back thanks to thanks to an intrepid soul who had the entirety of the game with commercials <laughs> up somewhere um, and I, I think that what we're looking at is in a, in a game of this magnitude, it's going to be magnified. But there were some calls that I think people were upset about, the, even the TV announcers were upset about that I thought were legitimate. Um, there was a hold called on Angel Reese. This was not a point in the fr- at the end of the first quarter where the whistles were just blowing in the end, and that's what's going to increase your frustration. But what they did, I think, was call some fouls that were a little bit low contact, and then were making correct calls that were magnified because they had made a an iffy call prior to that. Um, there was a hold on Angel Reese that was legitimate. Uh, there was a foul on Monica Sonato that was legitimate, and I think that there were other fouls that were around there. There was a, a foul—the first foul on Caitlin Clark when she tried to just kind of put her body up and J. Johnson tripped over her foot. I wouldn't have called that because it looked like incidental contact. However, I remember something that Sam Smith wrote on the Jordan rules that pretty much. By the rules of basketball, any contact is deemed a foul by the written rules. What officials have to do is make sure that the game flows and that the fouls, that the contact that impedes progress and impedes the flow of the game, that's what's called. What I think this, where I think this crew made the mistake was that they didn't let the game flow at that point. And when you slow the game down, that's what made them more, uh, more present Within the contest, I I disagreed with that. However, I thought that even in this in this set, I thought that the officiating was not as awful as people are making it out to be. I really don't. The one thing that I always have an argument with is what happened. Monica Sonato just ripped the ball away from a player early, and even if even though I would have the possession arrow on a held ball, I still would have let that play go because even though both players had contact and. Contact simultaneously with the ball, she pulled that shit out of there. That should have just been an Iowa possession on a steal. And I want to see more of that. I want to see more more time in women's basketball where play is allowed to be aggressive and fierce. And not, I don't I don't want to have somebody with blood streaming down their face. But on held balls, on play down low, let them play unless it's coming to just like absolute fisticuffs. I I want to see more of that because as we're talking about with the – as we're going to talk about with the Angel Reese discourse, these cats are playing to win. They're playing aggressively. They're competitive. They want to get these Ws, and not everybody is going to be primed properly. This isn't Victorian-era basketball. Nobody's out here playing in boots. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, let them go. There's a certain point in time where you have to let them go. Different officials are going to officiate differently. I understand that. And I don't think the officiating was as absolutely terrible as it made it out to be. The LSU coach was on the floor too much. They should have been called for a technical foul. That should have happened early on. And that might have changed some things in the game. That I think they missed too. But I don't think it was absolutely awful as they made it out to be. Now, you are correct. We should definitely shift into the the discourse around Angel Reese uh, as opposed to Caitlin Clark.
0: Yeah, man. I mean... I want to do this all the way from the top because I don't think there's a way to do it without going through all of the events in chronological order. So, earlier in the NCAA tournament, again, while she was going on like an offensive rampage, to be fair, Caitlin Clark made the gesture of like, you can't see me, that John Cena made famous. Oh, Y'all can, like a... can hear the trumpet
1: in your head. Just go ahead and you know
0: do it while you're watching. <laughs> and... It also just wasn't that singular moment. Caitlin is also had a lot of trash talk throughout this tournament and throughout the regular season. I mean, she said, I think she said, uh, she can't guard me. You know, like she's talking trash. It's picked up on national television and people discussed it. That's the only reason why I'm bringing it up because that specific part wasn't directed towards a player, but it was discussed. She was called things like the Larry Bird of trash talk on the women's basketball side. Um, interesting note of, interesting way to put that. Fast forward to the closing moments of the championship and An- Angel Reese starts talking shit to Caitlin, and she returned the same gesture of you can't see me and again the stakes were high so there were more eyeballs on it. She, you know, she did that while Caitlin was going back to the bench and I don't think there's another way of framing this but like a lot of unstable old white dudes came out on social media, and old Angel Reese classless. I mean, that was a word that was trending on Twitter. There were thousands of tweets that included the word classless. Keith Olbermann sent out to his nine hundred old white dude, unstable old white dude, still has a platform. I have no fucking clue why. Um, oh. He sent out a tweet. Again, to his 999,000 followers on Twitter, calling Reese a fucking idiot. And again, there were thousands of other casuals that crept into the discourse yesterday that haven't watched a lot of women's basketball, didn't really understand or care to try to understand what Angel Reese went through at LSU this season and how lopsided the coverage was when it came the talking about her trash talk versus other people in the country who do it as well. Chris, not even just coming off of Angel Reese dealing with with what she went through yesterday, but also coming off of what Don Staley just said after South Carolina lost to Iowa, talking about how her team was described, some nasty things that her team was called. Um what did you make of this whole
1: situation? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I know it's, it's not good to leave dead air, but I had to gather my thoughts a bit. So me as a non-superstar basketball loving and sometimes playing person, I, I, didn't, I never liked to talk on the court because I wasn't that good. Uh, I was fairly decent at defense. And there'll be times where I, it was just, you like to have fun. I like to be gregarious. I like to converse with players because it's fun, but I was hardly ever in the mode where most of your trash talk comes from the offensive side, I think. And I was hardly ever had items, hardly ever in the mode or had a game where I could do that much talking offensively. Black a shot. I can make a steal, but those are, those are players. And you might just, you know, it's like, Hey, it's like, you might want to try somebody else. You know, don't try and be with that every so often, but, these are superstars on a national platform. And I think that the way that we look at it is rooted in American historical social, the social fabric of this country. That being that black people who are extroverted who are outwardly expressive are going to be seen as aggressive by the part of the populace who's not them. And that's not just white people, not just old white dudes. That's just people in general. I can't speak from experience on that. Just those expressions of joy, those expressions of boasting, those expressions of pride are going to be seen as aggressive, where those expressions of pride, boasting, joy on the other side are going to be, see, are going to be celebrated and going to be seen as exactly what they are. I think that what we've seen from Angel Reese this season is the way that I would have loved to have been on a basketball court if I was if I had her level of skill. There are definitely times where I would block somebody and maybe look at them and just be do the do the matumbo just for fun, do like you know, just like what were they thinking? And I remember that that got a lot of play too. That made national news and a lot of play, A lot of people rightly were just like, "Yo, you don't come inside on Angel Reese." And then some people were like, "How could you possibly taunt a player?" who's trying their hardest. It was basketball, bro. You know, it, it, it is what it is. When you get beat, you got to eat it. And I think that's what happened. That's what Caitlin Clark did every single time. She knew that she was national player of the year. She knew she was on an unbelievable tear. So if you were going to try and stick her, she was going to be gone. You know, with Angel Reese, the turnabout was fair play. And she said exactly what she said. She did that. And Caitlin Clark at some point did that to Alexis Morris, who we just talked about. And so she was, one, backing her teammate up, and two, expressing herself as a player of her stature should and has the ability and standing, to. I think what great basketball players throughout history have said since the first time um, Naismith put a hoop up in the gym in Connecticut, talk if you're good. Talk if thou, has this, if thou dost have the skill. That's what they said in 1893. If if thou dost not have the skill, thou dost quiet themselves. In other words, if you're not good, don't don't talk. Shut the fuck up. And the people who are talking, as you said, they're casuals. They should shut the fuck up. The people who have played this game and have some skill, I will listen to what you say a little bit longer, but I do not have any time for the people saying that Angel Reese is classless, that she's a thug, that they are bullies. Like Any of that, what, it, and, I, and this is something that comes in, in just, I think the discourse is badder than itself. I'm getting off topic, but this is where the bullies get bullied. The bullies are the people who are trying foul and clutching their handkerchiefs and just bleeding their hearts all over this. I don't know why you're mad. You see, if you see your hero get beat, you got to eat it. You got to hold that L. I think the good – I know a lot of people from Iowa who were upset at officiating, but they weren't upset at Angel Reese because they know sports, they know – they've played sports and they know sports and they know what it's like to see your team win You they know what it's like to see your team lose. You get to talk a little shit if your team wins. you got to hold the L if your team loses. And I, for the South Carolina fans' part, I think they're definitely on the side of Angel Reese. It, you just you – just, you have to know when to shut the fuck up. Hold that L.
0: That is all I have to say about that. You know, ever since I've started covering women's basketball and like just on it day to day, the more and more has it has become apparent that there's so many people that just have such a problem with black women expressing themselves in any way, shape, or form. When Asia Wilson lost and like then the Aces lost to I forget exactly who it was in the postseason, but she like went down like collapsed, crying about losing the postseason you know it was heartbreaking she was called soft when alia boston was okay when she when south carolina lost what was it like two years ago and it was the famous image of her crying right like she was called soft and now angel reese who again has talked shit and backed it up like you said man when you are the best of the best, and historically, when we look at at least American sports, I can't comment on the other ones, we applaud players who are able to back up the trash talk. It just drives me crazy that it's like you're trying to box someone in, like Angel Reese. If she shows her emotions of being sad after losing a game, you, you criticize her. If she wins unab- and then is unabashedly herself, You criticize her too. You want her to keep her head down, smile for the camera, and just operate within this tiny little box that you expect someone to. Again, it's like you're you're projecting your own ideas, I guess. And like, especially with all these, again, like the the barstool guy who was like the who has like two point eight million followers on Twitter, like tweeting out that Angel Reese is classless, like in this. 30 tweet long ran repeatedly calling her that like that, that has an impact.
1: I, do I even, should I even
0: ask who that was? Does no it matter. Okay. No. And he's been like accused of like sexual assault too. So like, I don't, I don't want to give that guy any, <laughs> any type of promotion, even when it's negative on like when we're talking about it. um, I guess all I'm going to say, man, is just that we should be celebrating Angel Reese right now. And, instead of talking about her like having like the first 25 point 20 rebound five block game in NCA women's history, you know, like not during the championship, but during the postseason, she did that, you know, fucking dominant. Instead of talking about even Caitlin passing Cheryl swoops on again, like for most points in a tournament, like we're, we're going away from the game and are letting these people infect it with their, again, their, casual discourse like <laughs> casual racism casual sexism and i guess i'm sometimes left wondering like how much of my energy am i really going to give these people anymore or we need to call them out obviously but it's like man if we make it all about like what happened after the game and not talk about like alexis morris in her hit- incredible second half or all of the shit that went down yesterday it's like it's detracting from the thing that we love And that's why I I didn't go on it. I I typed out a lot of tweets yesterday responding to people that I just ended up not sending out because it's like what I want to talk about and what what the energy that I want to put towards this, especially this specific game. um, I want to, especially on social media, like I I wanted to focus on the people that really delivered and recognize these athletes, what they are, rather than just, I feel like we continue to look at them as female athletes, women in sport, rather than also looking at them as like these athletes that are that compete at the highest level and we I just think we we failed them and we give idiots like Keith Olbermann the mic and let them dominate the discourse if that makes sense.
1: You know, I, I will say I don't think Keith Olberman has dominated any really discourse on this. Like he has the platform, <laughs> but Sure. Uh it, and and we are siloed to an to to an unthinkable degree, in the information age, because everything is curated for us. There's an algorithm that's working for us that, you know the human race is created, but we are creating these these lanes that we live in. And it's funny that stay in your lane is a thing because we hardly ever get out of our lane. It's I don't have, the, I I don't have the person you're talking about. I, I stopped seeing what they were saying a long time ago. Keith Olbermann really comes across my field of vision. And the most that I'm seeing from people about it is just quote tweets. You know, I've, we are wrapped in our, in our tunnels. So I think it's, it's tough because you want to give your energy to the right things and the right people. And the fact that there are so many things to focus on saps us of energy more than ever before. But I think when there were fewer sources of information, yeah. You got more news, even if it was some, to some degree slanted, but you were able to pick and choose what you could pay attention to but still understand what was going on in the world. The problem now is that we get information, and I don't know. It's, it's a whole thing. I, again, I'm trying not to go off topic here. A lot of what we're talking about goes into communication theory, and I don't want this to be a communication theory podcast.
0: Well, so. Chris, just to interrupt you real quickly, though, with that, I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me when we look at this from a race perspective is people are telling Caitlin Clark's story before or I should know I mean, what I don't even want to make this just about like Caitlin Clark versus Angel Reese necessarily. When we like people are talking about a player like Paige Beckers in high school before she achieves anything at the college level. And it isn't until a player like Angel Reese or Alexis Morris until they're successful, go to a final four where we start writing features about them or start telling their stories. They have to achieve a level of success first compared to some of these other white players that come through the league that again, people are so willing to tell their stories immediately. And to me, when we talk about the like the communication element of this, that is the biggest thing that sticks out to me when it comes to this, like black players have to, I should say like black women or black people who don't identify within the gender binary have to achieve a level of success first before we start talking about them. And that is a huge problem in the media right now. And I think almost what Don Staley kind of hints at a little bit in her post-game press conference after the Iowa loss. Yeah. I want to, and if I'm wrong too, please push back too. But that has seemed like a trend in my
1: mind a little bit that players that have not achieved the level of success are are censored
0: yeah like um yeah i I mean i would say that white players who come out who are highly touted coming out of high school are written about more before achieving success compared to black players who need to achieve that level of success before people start writing about them and start paying
1: more attention to them yeah, I see it. I mean, we we're talking about Paige Becker's, and, and granted, she was amazing in high school, but she has not been able to stay on the floor enough at UConn. In fact, I think there's something to it. I, you know, I don't know where it's where it's coming from necessarily. If there's just this search for uh, the next great white hope or anything like that, I, I think that there are players who are legitimately good, and in this era of basketball that is moving towards the perimeter and further out, there are players like that who can excel. Where they wouldn't have been able to in the previous era of basketball that was just more centered towards the post. But at the same time, I think you look to for the what women's basketball needs to do is capture these fans who are on the periphery and put up the players who are not just exciting, but the players who are performing. Like put up the players, put the players to the front who are performing. And we saw the players performing. The problem with calling Caitlin Clark the face of women's basketball and the best player that you've ever seen in college basketball is that's a problem, for sure. Because we watched Rihanna Stewart win four straight MLPs, anti-up. Like, we watched watched Candace Parker at Tennessee. We watched Maya Moore at UConn. This was not that long ago. And I, I, I know that everything comes more quickly, and recency bias is just more of a thing in this day and age. But this did not happen that long ago. Like outside of the Covid and the Trump presidency, it should not just vanish from your mind that quickly that we had those players. so recently, you know i I think that it's there's recency bias there, but there is something else bubbling under the surface. and there's going to have to be a reckoning and a reconciliation within the media landscape about how we're talking about these players for sure. I I know that I said that in a much um, kind of buttoned up version, much more reserved fashion than you did. And I think that the way you're saying it is much better. You got to look, take a long look at yourself and recognize with the biases within yourself about how you're talking about players, which players you're talking about more simple as that.
0: Yeah, I, it's tough because I do think we're at this age that people don't value journalism anymore. And that, again, it's just because after 2016, especially, and if you look at this historically, it has always been the case, but given how communication or ways of communicating with people have expanded globally, people don't value journalism anymore. And that, again, like the media is always wrong. I think one of the things that tr- the trends that we see that bothers me a lot as a journalist is that the media reports something that someone said, and then immediately someone comes out and says, no, this is untrue. And people just take that as the truth when it's like, I don't know how many times in human history we have to go through this, where someone pushes back against like a report of something and then, oh wait, it actually ends up being true. And then we don't really talk about like the damage that does in newsrooms. And we're already seeing it from financial standpoint with people subscribing less to news outlets and resources being completely consumed with all that said it's like the real like we do have problems we need to fix in media the way we frame i've seen some really nasty things this season framing black people especially and perpetuating certain stereotypes like when it comes to photos i think that's also like a huge problem that we've seen this year and it's like it could be even these subtle things that they build up and that's why like I I I'm just impressed with someone like Angel Reese who's able to tolerate it and just came out talking about how proud she is to be a black person um I think she tweeted out like I love being a black queen after the game and like to be able to come out on the other end so quickly again just dealing with this constant Bombardment of racist tweets. I mean, I don't even, I'm not a big Instagram person, but like, can't imagine what people were saying on there, like the totality of it, and then still come out being like, fuck all of you. I know who I am and I'm proud to be who I am. Like,
1: you know, that's going to resonate with people. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we've, we've come to a good moment to just reiterate that this podcast is sponsored by Betstamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to bet on how many times Angel Reese hits John Cena in your face or how many blocks she gets, uh, you can bet on the latter at Betstamp, not yet the former. Uh, because we, we don't have those types of things in the United States yet, betting on those kinds of props. But you want to bet on how many blocks over under you that you think Angel Reese will get, um, in her next college basketball game, which will be her first as a defending champion. If you want to place bets on who you think will win the WNBA title this year or which teams you think will make the playoffs, BetStamp has the best lines and odds from all the nor- major North American sports books. That includes FanDuel, that includes Points Bet, that includes Caesar Sportsbook, and many, many more. If you sign up on the BetStamp app, you can track your own personal bets and the wagers of people like us. And we are called media, uh, we're we're media, we'll put it that way, (laughs) and other actual betting experts. And so you can follow their lines in and, as I said, keep track of your own bets and improve your odds over history, over time. So please check out Betstamp on all of the app stores, the Google Play store, the Apple store, the Android store. And when you sign up, use the code SKYHOOKPOD when you do. That is the SkyhookPod. When you sign up for BetStand, proud that they've sponsored this show. So, Chris,
0: I don't know how you feel about it, but to me, it felt like there was just a different energy around the NCAA tournament this year, and the ratings backed it up. I mean, ESPN saw like had its like top game of the year be I think it was South Carolina Iowa, and that averaged like five point five million viewers during the game and it peaked at like 6.6 million viewers at one point. I mean, that's just some historic shit right there, man. It's kind of awesome <laughs> to see how people really gravitated towards the women's game. Or I should just say gravitated towards the non-men's game. I, I really want to be more careful about my phrasing when we talk about it. Um, did you feel that as well? Just the way that, like, I mean, I wasn't on Twitter for like a week just to, reset physically and mentally and helping out my grandma who's dealing with some health stuff as well and like but i was watching all these games and i would peek at twitter and be like oh wow like there's actually people talking about the first round of the ncaa tournament who i know don't follow women's basketball i mean it was to me it, it i was overwhelmed by how much participation there was watching the games and people even engaging on social media, which whether you like it or not is a big proponent of women's basketball culture.
1: Yeah. Um, I posted a snarky tweet at the beginning of, of tournament time. And this is for, you know, both the, the women's and non-cis males brackets or the men's and, and sorry, the non-cis men's brackets that the NCAA tournament was a great metaphor for capitalism just because there's this idea that teams on the bottom have the chance to move up in the world and succeed, when in reality it's those top teams that typically come out on on top. And to some degree we did see that in this tournament that we're discussing, but there were a ton, a ton, a ton of upsets. Um, I remember Calvin Wetzel and her who stats who... Follows uh, so many mid-major teams, great work for them, and also follows sports betting and was talking about how Florida Gulf Coast was going to win their first-round matchup and how he was just waiting to see people not bet on them and then win. And that happened. But we also saw uh, Mississippi State beat Creighton in the 11-6 to game. Um, that Florida Coast matchup was a 12-5 in the first round. Uh, Stanford got upset by Mississippi in the second round. Um Incredible game. Georgia Georgia beat Florida State in the first round, ten to 7 game. And there were so many good games like Princeton. Both Princeton teams won their first-round matchup and had a chance to move forward. Both Miami teams made the Final Four. One is a five seed, one is a nine seed. We're uh, sorry, the, the Elite Eight. Uh, one is a five seed, one is a nine seed. I fucking loved watching Destiny, uh, not Destiny Henderson, Destiny Rogers and that Miami team. Their run through the tournament, I absolutely fucking loved watching them. They're going to have some ball players to make the W for sure. And you saw the same thing in the other bracket. You saw so many upsets, so many teams that nobody had 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 any idea about picking, make gigantic fucking runs this spring, and it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome to watch. I think Ohio State and J.C. Sheldon were fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Elizabeth Kitley surprised me with her play this this spring. I thought that she was not one dimensional, but she looked more W ready than I than I would have said for the tournament. It was awesome. It was awesome
0: to watch. And she's returning to Virginia Tech for next year as well. So she said she said she got more stuff to work on. I mean, man, it was amazing, and especially that Ole Miss Stanford game. I mean. I, it wasn't too surprising to me, actually, just given how poor Stanford ha- was playing down the stretch of the regular season on top of... I mean, I watched a game. It was, it was the second half of South Carolina-Ole Miss, and it looked like Ole Miss had a chance to actually upset South Carolina. And then, of course, Aliyah Boston takes over and <laughs> scores, like, eight points in two minutes. I mean, she's incredible. That quote that Don Staley had... In that I think it was that Iowa press conference as well, where she said, if Aaliyah Boston asked me if like what like what I would suggest go to the WNBA or stay at South Carolina, she said is ready to face single coverage. She should go to the WNBA, you know. Um, so be on the lookout for that when teams are, you know, triple teaming Aliyah Boston, in the paint, um like they were in college, and there's just more stretchability there. Um just to watch Ole Miss do what they do, to stan- like did what they did to Stanford, being like, you know, I wasn't terribly shocked by this. It was just that familiarity. Like I was like, okay, I, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people didn't talk as much about the SEC this season as they should have. And then you go on Twitter, and you're actually seeing a lot of people being like, nope, this is what Ole Miss does. Like you should not be shocked. I'm like, oh my god, like people are really tuning into this shit. Like even. In, like just in a way, it just felt different than even like three, four years ago. And it was so cool to see all the upsets. I mean, that Ohio State run that they've had after like starting the season off, like what, like 16 and 0. And then J.C. Sheldon gets injured. They go through it all. And then uh, they ended up making an, a really nice run in the tournament this year. I mean, man, there's just all these different like subplots. I felt were actually covered pretty well in college basketball this year that I think really like the coverage improved to the point where that familiarity where you're not, you don't just walk into an NCAA tournament game as much anymore and not have any familiarity with the players that you're watching. It's like, no, you actually know what the narratives are. You have an attachment to it that you wouldn't have if that coverage didn't exist. And the entertainment obviously was spectacular as well. I mean, this was my favorite NCA tournament that I've ever watched. And I just think the the future of women's basketball, man, it is looking quite bright in a way that it just makes me so happy to see. Um i guess the one thing I want to ask you about though, man, Caitlin Clark, who look, I just think that she's just gonna be a star at the next level. I mean, what what she's been able to do offensively, I mean, excites fans and it should excite fans um the reason why i bring her up in this is that she has two years left of eligibility could you imagine watching Steph curry put up two 40 point performances in the ncaa tournament game and then be like oh by the way he's not going to come out for two more years because of how financially unstable the WNBA is like do you feel like the WNBA sweating a little bit right now being like Fuck, if we were in a better position right now, that we could then take all this momentum that Caitlin Clark just had for college in just seven days from now, when the WNBA draft is, be able to capitalize on it, but instead we're we're just unable to because she can make more money elsewhere. All these other college players can as well. Like, do you think the WNBA is sweating this one out a little bit after seeing what Caitlin did, knowing that
1: she's probably gonna be at Iowa at least one year, but possibly do yeah they have to be because they need to get their shit straight um and and prioritization is not the end-all be-all you gotta gotta allow i think we what we've talked about before you have to allow the people who are putting their money in to use that money not necessarily just how they see fit but to use it to players benefit and we haven't seen that yet when we're talking about charter flights and how players are housed and most importantly how salaries are calculated you got to raise salaries. If you can make a million dollars elsewhere, you're going to make a million dollars elsewhere, and I think that's what the casuals and idiots on YouTube and Twitter don't understand. People are talking about women not being paid fairly and not being paid equal to men, and they're like, "Oh, they haven't done enough." Obviously, somebody thinks they do because people are getting four or five times as much to play in Europe, where the the gross domestic product and the economy is not the same as the United States, but somebody somewhere says that these women are worth paying. And we're seeing full gyms and people who are rabidly into this basketball pay them out. That's why people are playing in EuroLeague right now and they're like, well, I don't want to mess the end of my season playing with this group and getting paid out in the bag just to come back to the United States and maybe get 45, dollars 60, $70,000, even if it's the best professional league in the world. I mean, NBA has to get their shit straight because you can't miss out on a player like Caitlin Clark for any reason, for any amount of time. And I think she, I, I can't see that she's not WNBA ready. Uh, I think everybody at a certain point when you're growing, you, you need to get a little bit more size and fill out. But she could hoop right now on some team. She wouldn't be scoring 30 or 40 a night, no but she would be able to play and then get to that level in three, four years. Right now, if she stays for two more years, that is millions in lost TV revenue for the league. It just is because the media has done what they did for Paige Beckers and put her in the forefront of so many people's minds. Both the people who do watch sports, have a history of watching and analyzing sports, and the people who are casual fans who happened to turn on a basketball game yesterday and saw her putting up 30-foot shots and just doing her thing. WNBA has to get their shit straight. Last time I'm going to say it. I'm just looking ahead at
0: next year's draft and thinking, like, there's probably, like, nine players that could potentially come out that could be, like, bona fide stars, potentially. Potentially, you know, like, just, like, what their ceiling is. And, um... I wonder how teams are even going to roster some of them based on their current the salary cap. You know, like it, like I, it, it's a big problem right now how limited roster sizes are. And I know we're not breaking your ground right now, but I do think coming off, like it's good to remind people coming off of like what Caitlin Clark did this postseason, um, what LSU did this postseason, like Angel Reese, man, like I'm thinking about her as well, just like how exceptional she's going to be at the next level and I guess the one positive for them is that now they have two years to fill out like you just said you know like they have they can just use the next couple of years to train and that maybe that ends up benefiting the WNBA a little bit more fine whatever I just think that it is just it really did hit me yesterday when I had people texting me you know, they like to support me like as someone who covers women's basketball they're like they get into it because I'm really into it and you know, my NBA boys uh, group chat that I have, they're all talking about. They're like, damn, I can't wait to see Caitlin Clark in the, the WNBA next year. Like, I can't wait to go to Wintrust Arena and watch Caitlin Clark. Like, where do you think she's going to get drafted? I'm like, guys, Caitlin's not coming for two years, man. Like, <laughs> Caitlin's not coming for two years. They're like, what are you talking about? And like, look, there are going to be even more players. Now And there's so many out there that deserve to be on a WNBA roster. And it just it doesn't work because of the hard cap that the WNBA has. There's going to be even more players in a couple of seasons. And now that like people understand, like, there's some of these outlets that are going to be like, oh, how well do the numbers do for women's basketball coverage? Yes, we are going to find money in the budget to potentially cover it, you know? So, okay, you're going to have all these... Again, like people coming into the scene that might not know as much that are going to see like someone like, I don't know, just random example, like um, Grace Berger is not going to be on a WNBA roster. Let's just say she gets cut after being drafted with like in the first round of this year's draft. Let's just say, and they're going to be wondering like, how the heck did the lottery pick just get drafted? And then you go back and look at the history and it's like, Oh wait, there's (laughs) hit that 2020 or the 2021 class, man. Like, Players got cut left and right. And I I can't emphasize enough. I think this is a huge issue for the WNBA. And especially coming off an offseason where Kathy Engelbert said that they're pushing the the expansion plan down the line even more. It might not come for another couple of years. Something has got to change, man. Something has got to change, whether it's removing the hard cap and just letting these teams pay luxury tax potentially and just be like you know what don't you feel like some of these cheap owners and by the way some of them are fucking cheap (laughs) wouldn't they benefit being like okay you know what i don't want to invest in my women's basketball team um why don't i just take the money from the teams that actually do put the financial resources towards their teams like wouldn't you want that luxury tax money back like i think it is beneficial for everyone across the league to make this, find a way to make this work. Obviously the, the, there's a CBA in place that will probably prohibit any of those talks. Like, or any talks of like altering it to be more favorable to the players from happening. Kathy was steadfast and being like, that is just not happening. Like when she came to Chicago last year, she's like, we got a couple years left on the CBA and we'll discuss everything when it, the, the time comes out. Dude, there's no time to talk about this anymore. Like, There's millions, millions and millions of dollars are being lost because of this, and I know you just said that too, but I want to emphasize it. Like, millions of dollars are being lost because there's only twelve spots per team, really only eleven for some of these teams that want to pay more money to the players that they want to like attract, you know, and like just make it work outside of like those top six players. Dude, this is a massive problem. Like the the sport is growing at a rate that the WNBA is can't keep up with, or maybe this isn't fair, but I'm going to say it anyway. Refuses to keep up with. Just wanted to say that. Um,
1: no, I can't say more than that. It's 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 an issue that the league has to address. Uh, the one thing I could say is that I remember uh, talking with players um, when the sky after the sky won the championship. Lexi Brown said, "We're going to revisit that CBA." That was 2021. And so I know the league, uh, the Players Association, and their labor uh, representatives have been looking at this. Kathy's going to take the hard line, and I know that she pretty much has to. But these negotiations, when they come up, are going to be contentious. Expect that. And the (laughs) league is going to have to bend. If they want to continue growing, as they say, Kathy being a former CEO, I think their leverage is not as firm as they might think, and they can't afford to just let this product disappear by any means, there will be a backlash like none other. And even if they hamstring it, it's going to be the same. We saw it. We saw it this spring. People are trying to watch the games. I had an argument with a guy, one guy who was very down about the quality of play, one guy who's saying that the quality of play, like years ago, was worse and it's getting better. And granted, these are the main. The main person I was talking to uh, was not the average WNBA fan by any means. He said that he is a person that does not watch the regular season, but will watch the finals if it's if it's on and there's and there's not something else more interesting on. To just make it very clear. Yeah. That being said, he is a person who wants to watch the league, and he wants the quality of play to improve. And what we're talking about, and I'm not arguing from his perspective necessarily, but I think what we both agree on is that we want the best players to be playing in the league, but what is happening is we said, best players are not always playing in the league because they either have NIL deals at college that they can actually make money on and get the TV time that they wouldn't necessarily get, and the teams do not have the financial backing, or at least saying that they don't have the financial capital to keep players on their roster and pay them accordingly. The luxury tax doesn't always work, but what we see in the NBA is that the players, the, the owners who have those times where they're just like, we want a winning product on the court, are going to say, fuck the luxury tax, we'll pay it, we'll pay the repeat offender tax, we'll pay all that. That's why the Warriors won four championships in the span of six years. That's exactly why that happened. The teams, the owners, Joe Tsai, Mark Davis. I think at a certain point they'll start walking because I think right now they can afford it whereas they can't in the NFL or in the NBA. But those owners who want to pay will pay. They will pay the salaries, they will pay for charter flights, they will pay for Ritz Carlton's, they'll pay for meals, they will pay for updating and upgrading locker rooms, they will pay for practice facilities and the players and the teams and players the teams that don't will get left in the dust and you'll see a top heavy league that will have an amazing quality of play. And about 25% of it, and at a certain point, the league is going to have to say, well, we are going to have to make a change. But I'm going over. I got a little, I got just it's, it's it's Labor praise. negotiations are going to be contentious. I know that for a fact. When they happen, and uh, Kathy's going to have to evaluate and make some concessions now before it's too late. Not
0: wrong, man. Not wrong at all. I mean...
1: I don't think is I don't even think it's just
0: Kathy. I think like she's just the face of it. And I think like this is just so much deeper too. You know, um, yeah. I don't know. All I'm gonna say though is that the talent that is coming up the pipeline is so exciting. Whether we get to watch them in the WNBA or some shitty sc- stream across, you know, in like Euroleague <laughs> or something. I mean, that's not a. I love. I I say shout out! Really. Shout
1: out to the streamers, man. Y'all, we all get chased by the internet police and putting up, you know, different different accounts. You change your account every day. Y'all are hiding out in safe houses. <laughs> up to everybody streaming all these games because fuck, fuck. Uh, I'm so mad that I have to pay for five different streams. It's just like I have cable TV again. So y'all are the yes. real heroes.
0: You no know, shout outs to them. Obviously. I just mean that like society at large makes it so difficult to watch women's basketball. So, um, you know, having to, having that, it feels so archaic to be, be talking about, like trying to find an illegal stream to, uh, <laughs> catch some of these games, <laughs> you know, RIP to NBA Reddit streams. Uh, the, the best one out there is gone. um, relied on that so much in college but anyway i digress chris any final thoughts before
1: we wrap up the show i hope that we see the like of this tournament again and i want to say that not just to the listeners of our podcast whether you just watch women's non-cis men you know non-binary players if those are the people you follow we got great basketball this march there's two there's a game left to play in the other tournament too we got some fantastic basketball in the NCAA tournaments, in the National Invitation tournaments, all the way down. And I hope we see this going forward. Because I remember a time way in the past, I think it was the 2012 men's tournament. I think it was the UConn-Butler game. And I, I remember Jay Donde on Twitter just saying, like, this is the, the game that the NBA is afraid to schedule against. It was like a 55-51 final score. And, you know, sometimes you're going to get games like that, that Sanford-Mississippi game was 54-49. It's college ball. But we've seen a level of play just improve and increase. And with the changing of the transfer portal, and um, uh, I I ran into a guy who played at UIC, and he was telling me there was a specific NBA rule that was changed way back where – I think if you transfer it, it was, it was about where you, how, you, how long you had to sit out pretty much or your, what your grades had to be in order to play. And that changed and that opened things up for a lot of players to be able to play. You're seeing parity. You're seeing a shift. And I wanted to continue. Part of the things that turned me off for the women's game was was so top-heavy. And it's not as top-heavy anymore. More teams are winning their first titles and it's not just leagues dominated by UConn, Stanford, Tennessee, and even even South Carolina got beat. You know, we were looking at we, – we. I think there were so many people, including myself, who were like, this could be the age of South Carolina just ripping everybody to shreds for five or six years. And they got beat. Straight up, yeah. I want to see this level of play continue and I want to come back here next March and be talking about what a wild fucking tournament it was again.
0: So with you on that, man,
1: like that was
0: man, I like both on the men's and women's side. Um, I have never felt more excited throughout the entire tournament than I did this past one. And um, yeah, I gives me hope. I think that is an under underrated aspect to all of this is like even all the disgustingness that came from the discourse yesterday and lingering into today, it's like they're not they can't take that hope away from me, you know, of like being able to see how incredible the entertainment was, how incredible the game was. All these games were during the tournament this year. And uh I don't know. I think that's a little bit underrated in our little space sometimes. So but hey, y'all, we want to thank you so much for tuning into this edition of the Skyhook podcast. If you want to find us outside of the audio version of the show, you can always do so by checking out our link tree in the episode description or on Instagram and Twitter at the Skyhook pod. And if you want to do it old school, which we love, um, hit us up in our mailbag. We are at the Skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhookmailbag at gmail.com. And of course, we want to thank our sponsor of today's show, Betstamp. The WNBA season is approaching. We are, my God, Chris, I don't, I, I can't even begin to think about how much work is going to be happening over the next few weeks, but super excited for it. <laughs> and if you're trying to get into the WNBA this season, I'm assuming you are if you listen to our podcast already. Um, if you want to get into the betting aspect of it, I should say, go to Betstamp and use the promo code the Skyhook Pod to get into the game and hey, throw down some uh, free bets while you're at it. You know, it doesn't hurt. So just get a feel for it. So yeah, use the promo code the Skyhook Pod when you go to Betstamp. So go ahead and do that if you can. And if you want to contribute financially to the show, you can always Venmo us at the Skyhook Podcast. I believe that's all the promotional stuff I have off the top of my head, Chris. So (laughs) we're going to leave it at that. Actually, no. Rate and review, slash subscribe, blah, 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 blah. And that's it for that. (laughs) I'm so done with the business end. Um, Really, thank you all for tuning into the show. And until next time.